Hello. If uh, we haven't met, my name is Matthew. My wife and I uh, and our three boys attend 10 a.m. regularly now. We've only been here for two or three months, um, but I was the student minister here five years ago, um, and so um, some of you know me from then as well. Um, it's a great privilege to be able to open the scriptures with you today. Um, how about you grab a Bible um, and open to John chapter 9, because I'm going to refer to it, and it's good if you can follow along. I think it's helpful for you. My Bible, it's page 1038, probably is the same with yours if you've got one of the ones in the seat there. What I want us to think about today um, is uh, what's the ultimate reason that people reject Jesus? Um, A lot of you uh, are Christians, um, but you probably remember a time in your past where you weren't a Christian yet. Um, And you had reasons, I assume, for why you didn't follow Jesus. Perhaps you didn't even know about him at that point, but perhaps you were really opposed to him. Uh, Perhaps... The reason people don't follow Jesus is something you could speak about from your own experience. Or perhaps some of you, you know that you're not actually following Jesus today. You've you've got reasons for that. Perhaps you don't have reasons for that. But what's the ultimate reason that people don't follow Jesus? Because so many people in our society aren't interested. I want us to think very carefully about that today. Uh, It's an important issue because Jesus died for the sins of the world. And anybody who believes in him can have eternal life, have their sins forgiven, be free from God's judgment forever. It's of ultimate importance. So why don't people believe it? I'll tell you a story. Um, a number of years ago, I went to a Christian conference at Katoomba. Um, there's, you know the KCC, some of you know those conferences that run up there uh, through the year. Um, it's a Bible talking conference, so some people do some talks from stage and we listen. I was staying in a room with um, just me and this other guy I hadn't met before. Um, it came very quickly apparent to me that the guy I was um, staying with for those four days had a pretty notable intellectual disability. Um, he, uh, I met him for the first time five times a day and I was the only person staying in his room. Every time I met him, it was, hi, what's your name? Where are you from? What church do you go to? And I had that conversation literally five times a day with him, even though I was the person who was living with him for four days and he wouldn't remember me afterwards, he just he wouldn't remember me. Um, and after a while, I'm there going, this is a Bible talk conference. You listen to the Bible being taught. How can you remember who Jesus is if you can't remember who, who I am? What can he possibly be getting out of this? And so I, the next time I saw him, we did the usual round of questions. Hi, what's your name? Where do you, where do you work? Where, where do you go to church? That kind of thing. And we got through that and I asked him, mate, I, I assumed he was a Christian. I said, how did you become a Christian? And he told me. It was the first meaningful conversation we had. He told me about a particular church he was in in whatever year it was and the preacher said this. He said, Jesus died for my sins and I knew that I needed to trust in Jesus. My sins are forgiven. I'm a sinner and I need my sins forgiven. And so I trusted him then and there and I've been a Christian since and I go to that church now. I was like, and he ended, okay, well, we're preaching through Matthew's gospel. What are you getting out of the talks here? He, said, he taught me some very simple things that he was appreciating for the parables of Jesus in Matthew's gospel. And I was blown away. I'm like, this is, this is like some sort of miracles taking place in this guy's life, that his brain works enough to remember who Jesus is and to get stuff out of the Bible, though he can't remember my name, though I tell him lots of times a day. He can't even recognise my face. He doesn't even know he's seen me before. I think it was a miracle. Um, however, reflecting on that over time, I've come to realise that I was focused on the wrong miracle. There were two miracles that happened in that guy's life and the bigger one isn't the one that we think so extraordinary. The bigger one is that he sees Jesus clearly. It's the same miracle that's happened in my life. I'm a Christian and if you're a Christian, it's the same miracle that's happened in your life. And by miracle, I mean a real miracle. I mean the type of thing where it can't possibly happen unless God personally intervenes and makes the thing happen. 
I don't mean miracle as in like just what it takes for the Knights to win a football game. Like it's literally God has to intervene to make a person, enable a person to believe in Jesus because the ultimate reason people reject Jesus is spiritual blindness. It takes God's Holy Spirit coming into a person's life and healing our spiritual sight to see Jesus clearly. And seeing Jesus clearly, seeing ourselves clearly, seeing our own need. I'm a sinner, I need Jesus, I see myself clearly. And only then can people turn to Jesus as Lord and Saviour. Spiritual blindness is a problem that uh, comes through in the Old Testament an awful lot. Um, Our Old Testament reading is from the book of Isaiah. Um, Isaiah is a prophet that had a go at Israel quite a lot about their spiritual blindness and their spiritual deafness. You guys just don't see what's right about God. You guys just don't hear God's word. You certainly won't obey it. Keeps on talking about you guys are deaf and you're blind towards God. You've got spiritual blindness and deafness problems. He's not actually saying that their ears don't work or that their eyes don't work. What he's saying is that their hearts don't work. They're so corrupted that they don't want to listen to God. It's a problem with their inclination. Deep down, they just don't want to obey God. Many of you have raised teenagers. You've all been a teenager at some point, so you'll be able to live in this example. Um, I'm going to give you two statements that a parent might say to their their, their teenage child. You tell me which one uh, they're more likely to hear. Go clean your room. Here's $100. Go out and have a good time. Which one are they going to hear? Because I reckon if they see the second one, I reckon amazingly they're going to have the best hearing in the world. You could be a kilometre away, you say that, they'll, they'll come running. Is it a problem with their hearing? Of course it's not. It's a problem with their heart. It's a problem with the inclination. They just don't want to hear you go clean your room. Spiritual blindness is what that's on about, spiritual deafness. It's the same thing. It's talking about hearts that are corrupted, people who are utterly unwilling and incapable of responding to, right, to, to God rightly. They just don't want to just corrupted and twisted against God. God speaks. Spiritually deaf people might as well not have ears for all the good it does them. God writes his word in the Bible. You say, here's God's word in the Bible. They might as well be blind for all the good it does them because people's hearts just don't want to receive it. But that isn't the end of the story. It's a terrible predicament. But God promised in the Old Testament, in that passage we had read from Isaiah, that the Saviour will come. God himself will come, actually. And when he comes, we read, then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Jesus came, called himself the light of the world for this reason, so that people could see clearly. So people could see him clearly. So that people could see themselves clearly. And that's scary. Seeing clearly changes everything. You see Jesus clearly. What you see is that he's the centre of the universe and you're not. And you should worship him. You see clearly, you should worship him and you should stop worshipping yourself. And if you see yourself clearly, you realise you're much worse than you think you are. Psychologists tell us that we deceive ourselves all the time. Christians have been saying it for much longer than psychologists. Human hearts deceive ourselves about ourselves. We don't see ourselves clearly until God opens our eyes and we see we desperately need Jesus to be our saviour. Tell you a story about a a, a guy called William Perkins. William Perkins was the best-selling author of the late uh, 16th century. Uh, He's a Christian, a very, very important Christian theologian. Uh, William Shakespeare was writing plays at the time. William Perkins was selling more books. Like he was, everybody knew his name. You don't know his name now. That's fine. But he's he he was a good guy. He wasn't always. Um, But he didn't think he needed a saviour at one point. He thought he was okay. I love the story of uh, how he realised he wasn't okay. 
Apparently, he heard, overheard a mother um, disciplining her child. And here's what the mother said. He just overheard this. Uh, she said to a, to a kid, um, if you don't behave yourself, I'll hand you over to drunken Perkins yonder. We'll hand you over to the town drunk and he'll sort you out. Now, how do people respond when they hear themselves insulted like that? Normally, excuses, anger, the other person's biased against me, perhaps excuses, or I'm drunk but, you know, I, it's only because it's the weekend or any number of excuses. That's not what Perkins did. He had this terrible moment where he realised she saw him clearly and he didn't. He'd been deceived about himself. He was a needy drunkard. And he saw clearly that it wasn't actually that he was a needy drunkard. There was something far deeper than that. That was just a symptom of the problem that he was a needy sinner in need of a saviour and that led him to seek out Jesus and find salvation because he saw clearly. If you don't see clearly, you can't turn to Jesus. That's why spiritual blindness is the ultimate problem. Now, let's have a look at our passage here. Um, Chapter 9, grab your Bible out and we'll go through most of the passage. Uh, Have a look at the beginning there. It says, um, as Jesus went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. It's not the main point of the sermon, but just by the by, um, it's a terrible mistake to think that you can interpret events from God's perspective without God actually telling you what the event's about. Uh, The disciples think they can straightforwardly read this event. They look at this guy who's blind and they go, somebody sinned, that's a justice issue, right? Somebody must have sinned for that guy to be born blind. It's either him, well, he wasn't born yet, so I don't see how that works. must be his parents, right? It's a justice issue. He must deserve that in some way. But God, uh, in the Bible doesn't answer those specific sorts of questions. Why did this happen to me? It doesn't focus on that kind of thing. It gives us the broad picture, and the disciples should know this. We live in a world under the bondage of death. Blindness, illness, ailment, it's, it's the symptoms of living under the power of death. But as it so happened, God did have a more specific plan for this particular man's blindness, and God told them, God the Son, Jesus, told them what it was. God had a very specific plan for him. God made that man to be born blind and put him where he was on that day to create the opportunity for God to show people how he works to enlighten spiritually blind people so they can see Jesus and accept him. You know um, how Jesus told parables, right? Jesus told stories with hidden meanings, like um, they're like a metaphor for for something. Um, He also acted out parables. He also did actions that had symbolic uh, meaning. And so you're looking at a guy who was physically healed. What you're actually going to be looking at is a guy who was spiritually healed. And that's what you're supposed to see in the story. There's two miracles. Make sure you focus on the right one because spiritual uh, sight being restored is what this is all about. Have a look at verse 6 and let's focus on that. Uh, Having said this, Jesus spat on the ground does something weird, right? Uh, he spat on the ground, made some mud with saliva and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told them, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means scent. So the man went and washed. He came home seeing. Very, very strange. Mud on his eyes, right? Here's the symbolism. I think the mud on his eyes is just purely dramatic, basically. Um, what, do you, what do you think when you see a guy walking down the street and he's got great clumps of mud over his eyes? That guy can't see, Right? 
It's just saying, if, if you're in any doubt, this guy can't see. So he's told, put the mud on your, he puts the mud on his eyes. Where's he send, them? send him? He says, go, go to the pool of Siloam. That word means sent. He sends them to a place called sent. Now, Jesus, all through John's gospel, has introduced himself as, I'm the one sent from God, sent from heaven. He keeps talking about himself that way. Jesus is the sent one. So really what he's done, metaphorically, is he sent the man to himself. Do you see? Can you see what's going on now? Blind man, go to scent, be washed, have your sight restored and go home. That's what's going on in the story. It's actually what the gospel is about. How do people, spiritually blind people, come to see Jesus for who he is? They get washed of their sin, they go to Jesus, the sent one, washed of their sin, spiritual blindness removed, and then they can see Jesus and trust in him and become a Christian. And as you keep reading, you'll see that what happened physically for the guy gradually happens for him spiritually. As in, he couldn't see and then he could see. He starts out not knowing anything about Jesus and who he is. By the end, he's very clear on who Jesus is because it's about him coming to see Jesus clearly and gradually progresses as we keep reading. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. The blind man gets sent home to his neighbourhood, causes a bit of a stir, as it would. These people know him as the blind guy. He's now the seeing guy. That's pretty remarkable, pretty amazing. He keeps telling the same story. This guy, Jesus, put mud on my eyes. I went to scent. I washed and I could see. Do you reckon they, they did that how many fingers are we holding up thing? <laughs> they must have. Come on. I'm sure they did. I, but they, they ask some pretty dumb questions. Like, look at verse 12. It's hilarious. Where is this man? They asked him. I don't know. I was blind at the time. <laughs> well, what, what, you know, follow up. What, what did he look like? Like, <laughs> it's just real geniuses trying to figure out this. You, you, you know, the conversation didn't get very far. So they took him to the Pharisees. The Pharisees are these guys who um, are experts in the Bible and they have these well-respected traditions about how to obey God and this kind of thing. Um, and they're regarded as spiritually insightful people. And so they think, well, let's get their take on what's going on with this, this guy who's had his sight restored. What's the deal here? So they take, them along, take the man along to the Pharisees, pick it up at verse 13. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the day in which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, how can a sinner do such miraculous signs that they were divided? The Pharisees have a real hang-up about uh, a particular way of viewing the Sabbath we don't need to go into, but basically it's so rigid, it's so restricted that they can't possibly entertain the thought that somebody who breaks this rule might be from God, even though he's healing people miraculously. It completely blinds them. They just can't see. And they're not willing to look because it's not just they're not willing to see, they're just blinded to it. And they bicker and they get nowhere. And then they say something far more insightful than they realise. It's got a double meaning to it. Look at verse 17 and see if you pick up the double meaning. Finally, they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. As in, you see, he was your eyes he opened. Literally, your eyes work now more profoundly He's the most insightful guy into Jesus standing in the room. What do you say about it? Let's ask the guy who's had his eyes opened who Jesus is. They don't mean it that way. 
But that's what it means. He says, well, he's a prophet. He can clearly see that Jesus is from God. He was sent from God at very least. He can see that clearly. It's plain as day. How could he use the power of God to heal people if God was offended that he was using the power of God? to? Like it doesn't work. He sees he must come from God. People want more proof than that, and I think it's fair enough, right? They, they think, well, this is a pretty amazing thing that's happened, so let's send for the guy's parents. And so uh, uh, they send for the guy's parents to ask them and get some more witnesses to what happened. Maybe he wasn't really blind and, and, and that kind of thing. Have a look at verse 20. Here's what the parents do. And listen, listen to the motivations for how people respond. Think about who can see clearly in this situation. We know he's our son, the parents answered, but we know he was born blind. But how he can see now or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him, he's of age, he'll speak for himself. The parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews, for already the Jews had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Christ would be put out of the synagogue. That was why his parents said, he's of age, ask him. Why did the parents not want to think further about Jesus or admit what had happened, follow the logical conclusion about who Jesus was? Fear. Fear, they're blinded by their fear. Worse, the Pharisees, what does it say about uh, their response? The Jews, the Pharisees, had already decided, they'd already decided before the evidence was laid down what was the case. They thought they knew without even looking, without even considering. They'd already made up their minds. It's a completely irrational response. I've already made up my mind. I don't want to think about Jesus. I haven't looked at it yet, but hey, I've made up my mind. Completely irrational. But it's the most common thing in the world. I think it sums up the attitudes of many Australians to Jesus, doesn't it? I don't want to check out Jesus. I don't care what you claim about him. I've already made up my mind. They don't say it like that because it's really irrational. I've already made up my mind. I don't want to think about it. That's really irrational but they cloak it in all kinds of reasons that sound better than that. Oh, it's because there isn't any evidence or there's just superstition or science has disproven the Bible or, or, or all number of reasons, nonsense. That isn't the reason that people don't check out Jesus. The reason people don't believe in God, the reason people don't want to think about the gospel is they prefer that God didn't exist. They prefer it. That's the reason. Because they're blind. Their hearts are blinded to the truth of God. They prefer anything except admitting that they're a sinner, that Jesus is Lord and Saviour, and they need to submit to him. They're really uncomfortable with that in their heart. They just don't want to because they're deaf, spiritually deaf. And it happens at every level of intelligence, to the person of the most meagre intelligence up to the most educated, smart, uh, celebrated academic. People make really irrational reasons for not following Jesus. Because the real reason is they're spiritually blind. Many of you are Christians, and I know there's people in your life you'd love to see become a Christian. I want you to think about taking this into account when your friend, your loved one, your family member tells you why they don't follow Jesus. I can guarantee 100% that the reason they give you for not following Jesus won't be the real reason. It's the reason that they probably convinced themselves of, but it's not the real reason. The real reason is that their spiritual eyes are closed and they just can't see. And it's a very great tragedy, but you need to label the problem rightly if you are going to go for the solution in the right way. Their eyes are closed and they just can't see Jesus clearly. 
They're blind. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4 says, The God of this age, talking about people who don't believe the gospel, believe Jesus, the God of this age, Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ. People are spiritually blind and need God to personally intervene because that's the only way that blind people can see. Let me tell you, I've, I've tried to tell the gospel to quite a few people at different points. Let me tell you what I think is the most difficult response to the gospel to try and deal with. It goes like this. Well, that's it. Folded arms, shut off. I don't want to hear it. I'm not interested. Like they don't even say words. They're not engaging, right? People sometimes make excuses, ask questions, but you answer the question and they just come up with more excuses. Often that's just a cover. When it really gets to the root of it, what people are doing is this. That's all they're doing because they're blind. They just don't want to. It's my two-year-old chucking a tantrum against God. It really is at heart, at root. Because it is completely irrational. It doesn't make any sense. You say, think about the scale, the magnitude of what I am talking about. Jesus died for the sins of the world. You can be forgiven of your sins. You can have eternal life. Will you consider it? What's the response? Bored, scornful, dismissive, defensive, shut down. Spiritually blind. Friends, here's the problem. People are just as able to solve their spiritual blindness problem as that blind man was able to solve his physical blindness problem. Just as able to solve it ourselves. Blind people don't save their own eyes by seeing. They need to make their eyes see first. Somebody needs to do it for them. Sometime later, the Pharisees called the seeing eye man back. That's what I'm calling him now, the seeing man back, and tried to manipulate him to their ends. Have a look at verse 24. A second time, they summoned the man who had been blown blind. Give glory to God, they said. We know this man's a sinner. Why do they, how do they know that? Because they've already made up their mind. Verse 25, he replied, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind and now I see. The Pharisees insult him and argue a bunch more and, and make all sorts of lame excuses and flail about it in their spiritual blindness while the seeing man sees things clearly. Here's how he sums it up, verse 30. Come down to verse 30. The man answered them when they were bickering and giving lame reasons. Now that's remarkable. You don't know where he comes from. Yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly man who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. Bam. What answer have they got to that? There isn't a good answer to that. The guy's using God's power to heal people. He must be from God, right? Their answer is they throw him out of the synagogue. That's all it is. They're crossing their arms, stamping their foot, spiritually blind. Don't want to consider it. Listen to what happens next. Verse 35. Jesus heard that they'd thrown him out and when they found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me, so I may believe in him. He's a man who's willing. Jesus said, you've now seen him. In fact, he's the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe, and worshipped him. 
Friends, this is the first time that the seeing man has seen Jesus because remember he was sent to that, that pool and then he could see and Jesus was elsewhere. This is the first time that this man has seen Jesus. But far more profoundly, this is the first time that that man has seen Jesus. He recognises who he is. He believes. He knows Jesus is sent from God. He believes more than that. He's the son of man. That means he's the person who God appointed to rule all things forever, who will rule heaven and earth forever. That's the son of man. He believes he's the son of man. He believes on Jesus for salvation. And he responds with faith and worships him because his eyes have been opened. It's the only response you can make when you see Jesus for who he is. When you're standing on the street and there's a car speeding towards you, if you see it, you move. If you don't see it, you don't move. People who see the car coming towards them, if they don't move, I don't think they've really seen it because they haven't comprehended the situation. Seeing fully implies the proper response. If you see Jesus, you trust Jesus, you love Jesus, you obey Jesus. He saw Jesus. Jesus explains the tragedy of what's going on with other people there, verse 39 to uh, to 41. Jesus said, For judgment I have come into the world, so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. The second one there, and those who see, inverted commas, will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, What, are we blind too? Jesus said, If you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. Jesus' point is that people who realise they're blind, he can make see. The real tragedy are people who think they see clearly whilst they're blind. You go through the story and the Pharisees make all these really um, confident, confident statements about what's what with Jesus and God and everything. All these confident statements, every single one of them is wrong. The biggest tragedy in the world, people who think they see clearly but they're so, so blind to the truth of what's going on. Jesus came, put the truth in front of their face so that those who think they can see are proven blind but those who know they're blind, begin to see. How do people become Christians? Have a look at chapter 9, verse 1. It's not where you'd think you'd look to know how people become Christians, but this is how people become Christians. As Jesus went along, he saw a man blind from birth. That's how people become Christians. It isn't that we see Jesus. We can't. We're spiritually blind. Left to ourselves, we don't see Jesus for who he is. We reject him. The way people get saved is Jesus sees us. He takes the initiative seeing us. He sees us on the side of the road, spiritually blind, not a hope in the world. And he approaches us, takes the initiative, enables us to see by the Holy Spirit and seeing him for who he is and seeing ourselves for who we are. We place our faith in him for salvation. It's the only way it can happen because we can't solve our spiritual blindness problem ourselves and nobody else can either. I want to give you three things to think about as you to take away from this. Here's the first one. If you're a Christian, you need to recognise that you're a Christian because God caused you to see and you should praise him for it. You didn't just casually look at the gospel and go, yeah, I'm going to follow Jesus. 
The Holy Spirit has personally been at work in your life to kill spiritual blindness so that you see Jesus for who he is and turn to him in faith. It's the only way it could happen. It's the only way it happened. Praise God if you're in Jesus' kingdom because he did it and glorify him because it's his glory. The second thing I want to say, is to think about, and think about this quite a bit, talk about it, because it's a big issue. We need to act like, um, we need to act in a way that reflects the fact that the reason don't people don't believe is a spiritual problem, and therefore it's not one we can fix ourselves. We need to think very carefully about that, because I think what Christians keep doing, and we're going to keep doing it because we think we can do things ourselves without God. We keep thinking that we can get people to believe if we just do the right thing. If we run the right event, if we explain the gospel more clearly, if we run something that everybody wants to come to and, and uh, forget the methods right, more people will become Christians. Now, I'm not having to go at methods and events and explaining the gospel. It's excellent, it's wonderful, and we need to do that. But here's the thing I want us to think about very carefully. If only God opens people's eyes to see Jesus, then surely we need to spend a whole lot more time praying. Because anything I do is not ultimately, it might be very exciting, it might, might be, look really good outwardly, but at the end of the day, the thing that will make people change and turn to Jesus is that God chooses to open their eyes to see Jesus. And so we need to ask him more to do that. Spend a lot more time doing that than we do, I suspect. Thirdly, and finally, some of you might not be Christians yet. But perhaps today you've seen for the first time who Jesus is. You've perceived it. You've seen not only that he's the saviour, but you haven't closed the deal yet. And so you need to get on with it. You need to do it today. Something Jesus said a few times in his teaching, he said, uh, he finished with something like, "Um, if anybody has ears to hear, let him hear. What he's saying is he's recognising people are spiritually deaf, spiritually blind and can't perceive. But what he's saying is if God's at work in you, you can perceive. If you've got ears to hear this day, make sure you hear, as in make sure you obey, make sure you do something about it. Today's the day to respond if you've seen Jesus and seen your need before him. So I just want to say if you have seen, caught a glimpse of that, God's calling you to repent today and turn to Jesus and join his kingdom. Don't leave the room until you're sure about that. You can talk to me, you can talk to Dave, you can talk to Joe. We'd love to help you with your God-given perception of who Jesus is today, to cross the line and worship him and call him Lord and Saviour for you. Let's pray. Our loving Heavenly Father, we humbly admit that we need your help far, far more than we realise and that for those who of, us, of us who are Christians, your, our, our coming to faith was far more miraculous than we give credit for. Thank you so much for opening our eyes to see Jesus clearly so that we could trust and obey him. Father, we know that only you, by your spirit, can enable people to see Jesus. So we want to bring before you people that we know and love who aren't followers of him yet and ask, please open their eyes. Friends, why don't you pray for a moment about some people you know.
Heavenly Father, we want to ask the same mercy that you showed to those of us who know Jesus to these people that we've just prayed about. Please save them. And we thank and praise you once again for the Lord Jesus who took away our sins and gives us the hope of eternal glory in your kingdom. Thank you that that gift is free and we look forward to it and pray that you would help us to long for it more and more. In Jesus' name, amen.